Father, we thank you. What a powerful moment of worship and praise that you have privileged us with. That, Lord, the verse that says that you inhabitest the praise of your people. Lord, you were here in the midst. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. As we praised you, as we pressed into your presence, as we touched the hem of your garment for healing, and as we received the oil of gladness that was poured upon your head that now we're privileged to. So, Father, I just thank you for the word, the insight, and the wisdom that you have given your servant. I pray, God, that your heart would flow through my lips. I give you all the glory and honor for what you do in my life and in the life of the church. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I've entitled this sermon, And They Continued. And I'm beginning it in sort of an odd way. By talking about some verses in Mark chapter 6 and verse 45 through 56, and I'll tell you why I'm referring to these verses. The Bible said, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up into the ship and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and brought him that they might touch if it were but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. Amen. These verses follow Jesus feeding 5,000 men. And if each man had a wife and two children, he probably fed somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. And on the heels of that great miracle... He told them to get into the ship. And as you know, the storm came. And if you look at verse 52, the Bible says that their heart was hardened. And I said, well, what does that mean? Well, here's the interpretation in Greek. It means a kind of stone to petrify. That's pretty dead. It means to be blind, to cover with a thick skin. To harden, covering with a callus. To make the heart dull. To grow hard and lose the power of understanding. Mm-hmm. 
I want you to picture this. You're in this hillside, and these 5,000 men, women, and children, maybe 15 to 20,000, have been with Jesus for a number of days, and they have no food to eat. And one boy generously gives his five loaves and two fishes to Jesus. And they get multiplied right before their eyes. And not only that, but baskets of food are left over. Mm, come on. The disciples were there. They distributed the food. They received the leftovers. Come on. They saw the miracle. Now they're in a boat and a storm comes. <clears throat> and they see him walking on the water. But their hearts are hardened. Petrified. In another translation, in the LNT translation, it says, they still didn't realize who he was. Even after the miracle of the evening before, for they didn't want to believe. In the Amplified Version, it says this, their hearts had grown callous. He had become dull and had lost their power of understanding. Doesn't that represent modern-day Christianity in America? Amen. Their hearts are dull. People have lost the power of understanding. These were many people. The cities, the villages, the towns. Thousands and thousands of people came and thronged upon him and touched the hem of his garment and were healed by the power of God. Many. Multitudes. When he rose from the dead, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, and after that, he had seen of above 500 brethren at once. These were dead people who came back to life out of the graves in Jerusalem and were starting to walk the streets of Jerusalem. Uncle Harry and Martha, they had been dead for years, knocking on the doors of their relatives and saying, it is I, it is I, it is I, it's grandma, it's grandpa. Come on, come on preach. Amen. 500 roaming the city of Jerusalem. Where were they after that? Where were the multitudes? Where were the people that were blessed? Where were the people that were healed? I want to tell you that the most important meeting in the book of Acts began in Acts chapter 1 verse 2. Let me read. Until the day in which he was taken up, Jesus, and after that and through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen... To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For truly... John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore will come together, when they will come together, when they will come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Amen. Verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men, stood by them in white apparel, 
which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, so shall come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Listen to this now. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotus, and Judas, the brother of James. Look at verse 14. These all continued. These all continued. These all continued with what? One accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. How many knows that Mary was a Pentecostal? I said, how many knows Mary was a Pentecostal? She was in the upper room. Don't let anybody ever tell you anything different about that. What happened? They continued. What does that mean? They made an agreement. They made a covenant. They chose to be together. It was a choice. They wanted to be together. Hear what I'm saying. They continued because they wanted to continue. It was an agreement. When you look at the phrase, these all continued, in the Greek it means they agreed to continue. They agreed to carry on and remain together. They persisted. Listen, here's a question. If this group didn't obey and continue as a united brotherhood of Jesus, what would have been the outcome if they did not continue in the upper room? Now here's even a more serious question. Boys, make sure they're quiet. The same holds true today. If we don't continue as a unified brotherhood and sisterhood of Jesus, what's the future of our church? Don't say amen so fast. If we don't continue, if we don't agree to continue, if we don't choose to continue, if we don't covenant to continue, Tell me, what is the future for our posterity, for our children, and for our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren, if we don't do what God says to do, to assemble ourselves together? Don't get quiet on me now. Because this is a great question. I said, this is a great question. Let me read to you that God put a book into my hands, sort of supernaturally, the other day. Wasn't looking for it. It came from North Carolina as a donation. And I'm reading a book by the author, Assembling Together by Watchman Nee, one of the great writers of the church. And I quote, 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house. That's what we're referred to. Quote this. How is this spiritual house built? It's with living stones, not dead stones. Solomon's temple was built with dead stones. But today God's house is made with living stones. Peter was a living stone, for this is the meaning of his name. By putting these living stones together, God gets his name. By putting these living stones together, God gets his temple. Can one believer alone be a house? If there are no stones built on other stones, it's not a good sign, for it expresses the idea of ruin. 
It speaks of the desolation that comes after judgment when no stone is left standing on another stone. If a house is to be constructed, stones must be built on stones and stones must be joined to stones. Thank God you are saved. You have trusted in the Lord Jesus. You are now a stone. Don't then just hide your stone away someplace by itself. Let your stone be built together with the other stones and you will have a house. For the stones to be left scattered and independent is not only useless, but also can become a cause of stumbling. As soon as one believes in the Lord, he becomes one of the stones in God's habitation. He is the stone, but until it is related to other stones, he is useless. It's like the parts of an automobile. The car can run only when the many parts are put together. What use does one have if he remains alone? He will lose out on the riches of God. We dare not say that living stones standing alone become dead stones, but it's certainly true that a stone, though living, will lose its usefulness and miss out on spiritual riches if it's not joined to other stones to become God's habitation. We can contain God's richness only when we are joined together with other living stones. Then God can dwell in our midst. This is why there should be a conviction in our hearts that we must be in the church. End of quote. Amen. Don't get quiet on me. Come on. That's the word. Amen. That's the word. If we all decide that we don't need the church, if we all decide that, hey, you could do without me, if we all decide to break the agreement, if we all decide to break the covenant and break the choice, then you tell me what this spiritual house has referred to in 1 Peter, that verse I just read to you, what will become of the spiritual houses in America. You're already seeing what's happening to the spiritual houses in America. You're already seeing it in the Pentecostal church. Because they're dying and they're dead. I said they're dying and they're dead and there's no spirit. What's happened? The stones have refused to come together. The stones have refused to be unified. The stones have become divisive. There's over 20,000 church splits in America every year. So let me talk to you about the early church. Listen, there are some blessings that you can get by yourself. There are some healings and blessings you can get from by yourself. But there are corporate blessings that you cannot receive unless it is in the guise of the house of God. Amen. Here's what it says. Corporate blessings. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Okay, these are corporate blessings. What does it mean in this verse, they continued? They agreed, listen to this now. They agreed to be earnest towards Christ and one another. They agreed to persevere. They agreed to be constantly diligent. They agreed to attend to and not leave anything out. They agreed to adhere closely. They gave themselves continually to the Lord and to one another. They continued in and with Jesus and with one another. They became strong and steadfast, patient and enduring. How many people have given up? How many people have gone through the motions? How many people no longer attend the houses of God in America? There's millions of people that are sitting home. Oh, I know many of them have been hurt. I know there's been many shepherds that have bruised the sheep. I understand that. I've been there. That's happened to me. That's happened. I've been a victim of that. But I refuse to break the covenant with the word of God. 
I refuse to become a lonely stone. I refuse to become an isolated stone and to serve Jesus by myself. Because that does not set an example for my grandchildren. That does not set an example for my children. And that does not accept, uh, uh, set an example for my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Corporate blessings. What are they? The Bible says they continue steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrines. The teachings that Christ left. Where do you get those teachings? You get them in the house of God. The fivefold ministry. Amen. That God has put in the house of God. That God has placed in the uh, book of Ephesians. And what does it say? And fellowship. Fellowship. What does it mean? Some people, what are you, fellowship by yourself? The Bible says the word fellowship means partnership and participation. Well, I don't feel like a pastor. I don't, I don't feel like fellowship with people. I, I, I'm sort of a quiet person. I, 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 I come to church now and then. Lots of luck. Because you're breaking the covenant. The Bible says fellowship means communication and communion. It means distribution. That we become distributaries. Distributaries of what? Those who distribute God's love and compassion. One who shares the love of God. Listen, when you come to the house of God, you should feel the love of God. You should feel that affirmation from brothers and sisters in the Lord who have the love of God. Where can you get the love of God? Where you work? In your family that doesn't know Christ? Where can you get the love of God? We are the spiritual stones that must come together. And when we come together, the love of God is evident and apparent. And it's that love that soothes you. It's that love that calms you. It's that love that accepts you. It's that love that endures you. It's that love that takes you to the bosom of a brother or sister in the Lord. When we leave our stone home, how can you be loved? When you decide I'm not needed today, how can you be loved? What do you polish your stone? What do you look at your stone and say, a stone, I love you? And stone, love me back? Listen, everyone that's born on this earth from their mother's womb has the desire to love and to be loved. And you can't do that by yourself. You need other people. You need fellowship. What does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2? The Bible says the doctrine, Paul said, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me all things in all things and keep the ordinances I have delivered them to you. What was Paul saying? Come to the house of God so you can be reminded of the doctrine that you believe in. Come to the house of God so that you're not waylaid by heresy and false spirits and by evil teaching. Come to the house of God that you know is solid, that teaches you the word of God. And then he says to the church in the Hebrew church, he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I didn't write this. As the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. What does that mean? I know we have internet. I know we have television. I know the preachers on TV. I know all that. Let me ask you a question. When grandma dies, God forbid, does the guy from Colorado come and preach a funeral? Come on. When your daughter's going to get married, does the guy from Arizona preach the wedding? When your little kid is sick in the hospital and you need someone to bring the anointing oil and put the oil upon the forehead and lay hands, does the guy from Wyoming come and pray for your kid? No. You get that in the local assembly. You get that in the local church. You get that in the local pastorate. 
That's why the Lord said, not forsaking. What does it mean to forsake? To abandon. You see, in the upper room, they agreed to come together. They agreed in covenant. They made a choice. 120 out of thousands and multitudes of people, only 120 after three and a half years of the ministry of Jesus Christ, of healing the sick and raising the dead, the blind saw and the deaf heard and the crippled walk, only 120 people were in the upper room. What a sad commentary. You see, if you preach the truth, you might not have a big crowd. Amen. If you play games and you raise money to keep it going, to keep your name going, give it to your family and their family and their family. Come on. I've seen it. I've been in this. We keep it going. And the local churches starve. And the local churches are hurting. And 1,800 ministers a month are leaving the ministry. Ask yourself why. Ask yourself why 1,800 ministers a month are leaving the ministry in America. Why? Because they can't make it. We've been blessed in this church. We've been breaking financial records here for years. We've been giving 20, 25% of our budget to missionaries for years here. We've been blessed, and I thank God for that. But the anointing of God is here, not because of me or you, but because of Him. The blessings of God are here. The corporate blessings of God. You've been blessed. You're making more money now than you ever did in your whole life. You've gotten raises and promotions. You've prospered. Not because of me, but because of the anointing of God and the corporate blessings of God in the church. Hmm. Listen, what does it mean to forsake? It means to be totally abandoned. Oh, I've experienced that as a pastor. You have no idea the pain and the suffering that the ministry goes through. It means to desert, to utterly forsake, to leave behind, to leave in straits, to leave helpless, to depart from. That does not sound like agreement. That sounds like disagreement. To be left, to leave to oneself a person or thing by ceasing to care for it. I've seen people not care for me anymore. I've seen people that have been blessed in the church. I've seen people that have grown in the church. I have seen people turn on me in the church. Try to divide my church in Christ. That God put me in as, a, as the pastor. It means to leave in the lurch. See ya, pastor. <laughs> See ya. It means to leave alone, to disregard. And I love this quote. Of those who sail past a place without stopping. Of those who sail past the place without stopping. I love that definition. And boy, have I seen that through the years. And I can tell you something. And it's only the glory of God. And my wife says, I don't know how you do it sometimes. And it's only because of the love of God. How you can go to the grocery store and you can look into the face of a brother or a sister that has stabbed you in the back and talk to them and love them like nothing else ever happened. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm going to be quite frank with you. There's some people I can't stomach in the flesh. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Yep. On, There's man. some people I can't stomach in the flesh. But I can only love them with the agape love of God. And only God can give me that love. There's some people I love to tell off. There's some people I love to go off on. There's some people I, I like to just say, you know what? <laughs> you think you're something, aren't you? But you're nothing. You're in disagreement. What does it mean, assembling? It means to come together in one place. 
It means to gather beside each other, uh, gather beside your brothers and sisters in the Lord. It means to bring together to others already assembled. It means to gather together against. And I love this definition. What do we come here for? We come to gather against the powers of evil, the powers that are trying to take your children and your grandchildren. We come against the powers of Satan in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we assemble, not for just the blessings of God, to fight for your kids, to fight for your grandchildren, to fight for your posterity, to fight for your healing, to fight for your salvation. That's why we come together. This is not a joke. This is not a religious just uh, celebration. This isn't uh, just let's come together and say a few songs and, and have a few words. This is spiritual warfare. Because of what your children are going to face in the years to come, you have no idea. Most people have no idea what's going on in the public school system with this new emotional learning that your children, you don't even know, are taking surveys. And they're documenting and they're putting in into the computer. You see, oh, Pastor, you're losing your mind. No, it's called S-A-S-E-L. It's emotional learning. It's a survey on emotional learning. They're asking kids questions they shouldn't be asking kids questions about. And most parents are having no idea what's going on. And there's a great fight in some of the school systems with superintendents that are parents who are now aware of it. And they're saying to superintendents, why is my kid getting a survey? about sexual orientation, about all these other things. Why? You tell me why. Why? We, we, the, the, I heard the other day that they're gearing away from the academics and now they want to get into emotional learning. Leave emotional learning up to parents. Leave emotional learning up to grandparents. Leave emotional learning up to the house of God and the churches of God. Leave emotional learning up to us. We'll take care of emotional learning. You teach my kid how to read, how to write, and how to do arithmetic. That's what your job is. I'm paying my taxes. So you don't have to give my kids emotional learning or my grandchildren emotional learning. You need to teach my kids reading, writing, and arithmetic. Who made you an emotional learner? I didn't. I didn't mandate you. I didn't lay hands on you. But behind your back, come on. There's an agenda. Just like there's one in the world to become a one-world government, one-world religion. And if the churches decide not to agree to come together, what are you going to fight against? You got to fight by yourself. You can't. You're not going to win. But when you put people together. There's a difference in numbers. There's a difference when a bunch of people start to pray. There's a difference when people start to fast. There's a difference when people start to praise God. And what does it say? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some are, but exhorting one another. You know, I looked up the word exhorting. I was kind of surprised. It means to call aloud in a loud voice like I'm doing this morning. It means to call your brothers and sisters to the side and say, Hey, where have you been? What are you doing? What are you, on a sabbatical? This word exhort is very strong. It means to summon. Like the king sending out his servant on the street corner with a decree. And he rolls down the paper and he writes the decree and reads it. Why aren't you in the house of God? What's more important? That we can take God first off of our list who woke you up this morning, who put breath in your life, who makes the blood flow through your veins and arteries. How can we just dismiss God and say, I don't need to go to a house of God? It means to address and to speak to one another boldly, loudly, 
honestly. Listen, it means to admonish and treat. The word actually means to beg people. I couldn't believe it when I read this. This is how important it is. God saying, this is how important for you to be in the house of God, to be a church member, to be part of a group, to be part of a brotherhood, to be part of a sisterhood. Come on. That when one cries, we can cry with them. Amen. And when one joys, we can joy with them. Amen. And when one has a baby, we can have the celebration and the excitement that man, that church, that, that baby is in the church. Amen. You can't do that from a distance. You can't celebrate a birthday party from a distance with a stone here and a stone there and a stone there. But the stones have to come together. Hallelujah. So we can sing happy birthday to a child. So we can affirm that child. So we can look at that child and say, you are a miracle from God. And you are a gift from God. Amen. Are you hearing me? You said you wanted the truth. Don't get quiet on me. You said you wanted the truth. You see, when the church strayed away from the original pattern, this was the result. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. He says, Now in this I declare unto you that I praise you not. I praise you not. This is the pastor. And he says that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Whoa! I bet he didn't get an offering that day. I bet they didn't put no coins in the collection basket that day. Because he was saying, hey, for first of all, he says, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you. Woo! <laughs> hey, we got to get the pastoral committee together because we don't need this guy preaching in our church. We need to get the pastor's committee together. We need to tell this guy, you can't preach like that here. You, you can't be talking to the people that way. Oh, Paul did to the church at Corinth because he cared about them. He warned them. You know why? Because he was a watchman and he was a spiritual leader that cared for the house of God. What was he saying? He's saying, for there must also be heresies among you that those who are approved may be made manifest among you. When you therefore come together in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Here, I'm going to tell you what happened. For in eating, everyone taketh his own supper ahead of another, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame those who have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. You know what was in the church? Discrimination and prejudice. Because the people who had money ate caviar. And the people who didn't have much ate rice and beans. And the people with the caviar looked down upon the people that ate with rice and beans and said, what are you eating with us for? Because we're brothers and sisters. Because we made an agreement to come to the house of God in Corinth. Because we chose the covenant. Because we're your brothers and sisters. No, you're not. We look down upon you. And Paul came to the church and he said, how dare you be so prejudiced? And how dare you be so discriminatory against your brothers and sisters? Because they don't have the clothes that you have. And they don't eat the food you have. And they don't live in the house that you have. Same as today. Come on. Let the lawyer walk in and the doctor walk in and we make him sit on the first row because he's going to give money to the church. We'll wine and dine him. Not me. I don't care about people's money. I go to work for a living. The poor man comes in and we kind of look him over. I don't know. You sure you got the right church? There's one up the road. Because he might not look like you look. 
And they might not have no money to put in the offering basket that you might have. So there was the discrimination in the house. So they came together for the corporate blessing. And they came together for the corporate miracle. When I say corporate, only that could take place in the house of God when they were together. Because it says this in Acts 2.43. And fear came upon every soul. Whatever happened to that in the house of God? Whatever happened to respect for pastors that really love God and are God's called and God's anointed? That's out the window. People don't respect ministry anymore. And I understand that there's a lot of people behind pulpits that shouldn't be there. I told my wife just yesterday or this morning, I said, there's a lot of guys that are behind the pulpits today on Sunday morning. They are not called to preach the word of God. They just went. It's a vocation. It's an easy way out for some. But there's no anointing. They're not going to challenge you. And they're not going to tell you the truth because they don't want to rock the boat. But what does the Bible say here? And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. This was the corporate blessing. There's certain things that can only happen when we come together as a people. Amen. Are you understanding that concept? Amen. Because as I said, in, Aaron, in, 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 the, in the book of Psalms, chapter uh, 133, portion Psalm, I want to read this to you for a moment so I can explain where, where I'm going with this for a few more moments. It says this. Praise the Lord. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Listen to this. It's like the precious oil upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. As the dew of Hermon, the mountain, as the, the, the dew from the mountain came, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. You see, Aaron represented God in the Old Testament. And when the oil was poured upon his head as the priest, God was saying, the oil that goes down to the skirts of his garment, if you get under his authority, you get under his tutelage, Amen. that anointing that's on his head, and that oil that's on his head that goes down to the skirts of his garment will come upon your body, soul, and spirit. Amen. But if you're a stone that's removed away from the priest, from Aaron, you can get some anointing, but you're not going to get the corporate anointing. So then God went even further. He said in Psalms 45 and 7, and in Hebrews 1, 9, it's the same exact verse. It says, Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. What does that mean? When we come to the house of God, my friend, Christ is the head of the church. And he is anointed. He's got the oil. He's got the Holy Spirit upon his head. And it flows down to the skirts of his garment as it did in the Old Testament upon Aaron, who was a type of shadow to come of Jesus. And now we come into the house of God corporately and we bring our stones together and we come under his tutelage and under his authority. And that oil that's upon his head that goes down to the skirts of his garment now comes upon my Praise God, my head, my body, my soul, my spirit, your body, your soul, and your spirit. Do you understand that concept? Yes, sir. That's pretty deep. <laughs> when the church got away from the original pattern, the stones were scattered and divided. And that's why the church at Corinth had a lot of problems. That's why the epistles were written. They were written for correction. I said they were written for correction. Amen. Hear what I'm saying. Let me stay with me for a few more minutes. 
Corporate miracles happened when they assembled. Corporate sharing. Listen to this. Acts 2.44. And all that believed were together. Together. Unity. Love. Agreement. Covenant. Covenant. Oh, I'm busy. No, they weren't busy. They were busy with each other. Because in those days, there was going to be great persecution. And if we're not careful, that great persecution will come to America. And you're not going to be able to survive by yourself. You better get to a body of believers. It says this. And they all believed that were together and had all things common. Can you imagine? A group of people caring about each other that much. Can you imagine the people that were not narcissistic and selfish? They said, well, I got what I need. I got what I need. I'm good to go. You see, there was a sharing. There was a love that, that was complete in Christ. It was a companionship. People have lost companionship. Everybody's on Facebook. This is not about likes and shares and reposts. You don't get relationship with likes, shares, and reposts. That's nice. But you get love from people. Intimacy. When you're texting someone, that's not intimacy. When you're on the internet and you look at a post, that's nice. And everybody looks so nice on those posts. Those pictures. I never see anybody who woke up in the morning and looks like me. Praise God. Hallelujah. When I wake up in the morning, I'm kind of scared. The little bit of hair that I have is going in every different direction. My breath isn't that good. My eyes got the Sandman in it. You don't see that picture on Facebook, do you? No, because we always put our best picture. Oh, look at my picture. Oh, look at my family. Oh, look. I don't want to get you to get to know me because if you get to know me you might not like me so we have friends from a distance people both have 600 friends on Facebook that's a lot of Christmas presents and I know you're not buying 600 Christmas presents it's fake news it's fake relationship it's just fake likes and shit. And we have a competition. Who can get the most likes? Who can get the most shares? It's like a competition. Instead of coming together and liking one another and sharing our lives together. There was a corporate generosity. Acts 2.45. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. <laughs> what? You see, they knew a storm was coming. They crucified Jesus. He rose from the dead. And they knew persecution was going to come to the church. And they were getting themselves ready. Not like the church of today. Where people are just becoming fat cats. And ministry is just feeding themselves. And not worried about the people that the pastor. Not warning them. Not helping them to prepare. <laughs> Generosity. There was distribution. People helping people. This was a religious and spiritual revolution. Selfishness gave way to generosity. Independent spirit gave way to interdependence between people. The attitude of I don't need you was gone. But the attitude of uh, I do need you was now adopted. Corporate gladness. 
Acts 2.46. And they continuing daily with one accord. One accord. Together. Unity. Brothers and sisters in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house. Imagine that. That's face to face. The church has become like the book of Haggai. The foundation of the church laid for 13 years. Cinder block. Until Haggai came along with Zerubbabel. And Haggai said, Hey people, what happened to the house of God? Look at your beautiful homes, panels, sealed homes. Look at, look at you. Our homes have become our fortress. Our homes have become, shut the door, I don't have to deal with you. I don't have time for you. I don't have time for a relationship. I don't have time to have a cup of coffee with you. Because I'm too busy. Because I got what I need. And the book of Haggai tells us that's what the church became. And that's what the church in America is becoming. We don't want to be bothered with anyone anymore. We don't want to be bothered with each other. And we go around saying, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And everybody's so busy. Until people are on Facebook for three to four hours a day. Posting, sharing, liking. How busy are you if you're on Facebook? I don't need your recipe. I need a cup of coffee. I need a Dunkin' Donut. I need a bagel with reduced fat cream cheese because I'm wetching my finger. <laughs> I need a coffee, medium, four creams, and four, four creams and two sugars. I need an apple fritter that when I bite into it and part of it comes down, I want to get my head like that and catch it on the way down. <laughs> yeah. We've become isolated. We've insulated ourselves. We're afraid of each other. Because you might find me out. Listen, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And if you look at me long enough, you've got to find something wrong with me. But my God, i got a few strengths going for me also that Jesus did. <laughs> my wife can tell you my weaknesses. She's lived with me for 43 years. We all have some strengths. But you know how people are when they get mad? Birds, we're like that rooster that's fighting with another rooster. We stop pecking each other. We peck and peck until we get blood. And we, we just concentrate on the weakness. And we love it because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel superior. Oh, look at me. I've got it all together. Oh, you're a Bible scholar. Maybe, maybe we should call you Matthew Henry or Martha Henry because you, you got the commentary. You, you got it all. That's what Paul was saying to the church. Oh, some of our Cephas, some of our Paul, some of this. Paul says, what are you? Have competition among ministers now? What are you dividing the church? Because, oh, I follow this guy. I follow this guy. Paul said, how about following Christ? How about following Jesus? How about following the covenant? How about following the doctrine? How about following fellowship? How about following generosity? How about following the spirit of sharing? How about following love? They didn't like Paul and Corinth. Just like some people through the years haven't liked me. But I want to get to heaven. Amen. Let me try to bring this to a close. Corporate praise. You experienced that this morning. Amen. You see, you, you, you can stay by yourself and you can praise God. I'm saying you can. You can. You can put on your music and you can praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's wonderful. That's an anointing. Mm-hmm. 
But there's a greater anointing when a group of people come together. Yes, sir. Right. Absolutely. And the singers are ushering us into that presence of God, like they did in the Old Testament, worshiping. And all of a sudden, the corporate praises start to come. And people start to come forward. And the tears start to flow, the ministry of tears. And God, who knows what God's doing? I, I don't know what God's doing. I know God's doing something good when I see people coming forward. When I see people praise God, saying, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus, I want you more. And Jesus, help me today. And praise God. And when that corporate praise starts to come, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night starts to fall in the house of God. And all of a sudden, we feel something that we haven't felt before. We feel exuberance. We feel enthusiasm. We feel yeah. motivation. We feel the power of God. And we feel like we can walk on water. Amen. You don't get that by yourself. You get that when your brother and sister's beside you in agreement with you and saying, I got your back. I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to be sailing by and going down the road. But I'm going to be with you to the end. Oh, man, that's loyalty. We've lost loyalty in the house of God. We have lost loyalty and friendship in the house of God. You follow me. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Exultation. Exceeding joy. Jumping for joy. That's what that meant. They were praising God even though they were going to get persecuted. Singleness of heart. Together. You couldn't slip a dollar bill between their shoulder because they were tight in the press. Come on. They were together. Together. Brother fighting with brother and sister fighting with sister against the powers of evil. And they are coming against the church. They're coming against the minister and his family. They're coming against the church members. They're coming against the house of God. And people are just sort of in la-la land somewhere. I'm good to go. Really? Until you get that bad doctor's report. Until you find out your kids are strung out on drugs. I've been there. People you haven't seen. Pastor, can you help me? Pastor, can you pray for me? Pastor, do you know a good lawyer? My son robbed someone's home and he's in trouble. And he's not going to be able to go to jail or go crazy. Pastor, can you help me? All of a sudden, I'm your pastor again. And listen, I never turn around turn away anybody. You can diss me. You can hurt me. You can throw me to the gutter. And if I meet you in the cereal aisle while you're looking for Fruit Loops, I'll say, God bless you. Mm-hmm. And here's your Fruit Loops. Mm-hmm. And I'll keep walking. But I'm going to greet you. Because I can look at you in the face. Because I can go to bed at night and not feel guilty. Because you know what? I'm not perfect and I don't walk on water. But I tell you one thing, I love God and I preach the word of God and I don't hold back the truth of God and I know that I have the anointing of God upon my life. And I'm not going to lose that for nothing or no one. Listen, let me, let me close. Who are these people? How could such a people come together so spontaneously and love one another with a love that was so extraordinary? Who were they? Who were these people? They were people just like me and you. They were common people. People that Jesus spoke everyday language to. Some of them one time were religious people. But now they became spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because they gladly received his word, Acts 2.41. And they were baptized. 
And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You see, when we receive the word of God with pleasure and great desire, God's going to do something. When we come together, when we come together, and we allow God to corporately bless us and teach us, that we can praise Him and love one another, those in our family will finally see those in our neighborhoods will finally see that there are people, there are people that do love one another. And that's what this world is looking for. Everyone is looking for love. Children are looking for love. I heard yesterday a tragic story up in Seneca Falls of a three-year-old child that was beaten to death by a stepfather. They're going to go away 25 years to life, and they should because they killed a little kid three years old because of their anger, because of their hatred, because of their lack of love. A three-year-old child defenseless against a belt. Defenseless. And I'm like President Trump. He was an animal. Yeah. He was an animal. He's not human. That you could kill a three-year-old child? Didn't have the love of God. Probably refused the love of God. Observations. On the verses that I just wrote, spoke to you about. The church had innocence. It was pure, simple, no fanfare. I detest fanfare in the house of God. I detest fanfare. I detest emotional offerings. I detest when people try to make me feel bad that I'm supposed to give more money than God wants me to give to you. I detest that you want to give me something so I can give you more money. And if I give you even more money, I can get a better present and a better prize. I detest that. I don't see that in the house of God. I see where Paul made tents because he didn't take an offering from the church because he knew they didn't like him. The early church, the members stayed close to God, resulting in holy living and devotion toward Christ and one another. They kept the faith by keeping the teachings as they continued in the word of God. They were willing to be disciples and learn from the apostles. All we have people today, two books, two DVDs, one tape, and they're a prophet. Ask my wife. It's taken me a lifetime to get to this place and I feel like I don't know that much about God. It's taken me a lifetime of preaching thousands of sermons to thousands of people in my ministry career. And I feel like I've only scratched the surface of nearly knowing about God. But all of a sudden, some people just arrive. I've seen it through the years. I've been in this for 45 years. I've seen the scholars and the theologians and I've also seen them come and go. I've seen them fade like a leaf blowing in the wind, like a wave tossed in the ocean, like a flower that fades, that loses its tulip. Three weeks after, it sprung up from the ground. They continued in fellowship, continued daily with one accord in the temple. They had mutual affection for each other. Imagine that. Imagine being kind to one another. Imagine responding to one another with kindness and not sarcasm. Or I'm going to tell you how it is. <laughs> That's what the world's become. That's what a lot of Christians have become. 
that we think we have liberty to go tell people off. We think we have that kind of freedom. They were much together. When they withdrew from the world, they were very intimate with one another and took all occasions to meet. Wherever you saw one disciple, you would see more, like birds of a feather that flock together. The world saw how these Christians loved one another. They were concerned for one another. They sympathized with one another and heartily espoused one another's interests. They had fellowship with one another in religious worship as they met daily in the temple. They worshiped God daily and publicly. They were in one accord, no discord or strife. They had a holy love toward one another. They frequently observed the Lord's Supper. They continued in the breaking of bread from house to house, celebrating and remembering the Master's death. They were not ashamed of Christ, their relationship to Him and their dependence upon Him. They agreed, they continued in prayer and praise and thanksgiving. They abounded in thanksgiving and were continually praising God. They were loving, kind, and charitable to one another. They frequently met separating themselves from non-believers to pray and to praise and to study God's word, to break bread and fellowship through Christ. They strengthened the early church. They had all things common, common conversation, common tables, common community, common cheerfulness, and common courtesy. They were open-hearted and open-handed. They raised a fund for charity and missions, some willing to sell their possessions, lands, and houses. They were not selfish or cheap in their giving to each other. They were possessed by the Holy Spirit. They were owned by God, and, they, and God gave them power to, form, to perform signs and wonders and miracles. And in closing, I want to read Psalm 133 once again. Behold, behold, listen up. The trumpet sounding. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, as that dew comes down from the mountain, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. The blessing. The blessing comes through unity. The blessing comes through agreement. If any two agree, the blessing comes through agreement. The healings come through agreement. Financial blessings and prosperity come through agreement. Deliverance comes through agreement. Covering comes through agreement. What does it say? That descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Why would I want to rob myself of that? By being a lone ranger in a lonely stone. That has the potential to die if I'm not together with other people. Listen, studies were done years ago. Take children in an orphanage. Those children in those cribs that were never picked up, never felt love and affection, never were held, and just were there, (coughs) became emotionally disturbed individuals. As compared to the children that were picked up and held to someone's bosom and loved, felt loved and affirmed. I'm a stone, and I don't know about you people, but I need love. I need to love and I need to be loved. But if I'm going to be a stone and I'm going to be by myself, Here I am. I want to love and be loved. But I got the stone. I'm the stone. Where are the other stones that I can love? Where are the stones that I can nurture? 
And then I look at my grandchildren. <laughs> They're stones. What do I give them? What do I give them? I give them posterity. You see, I give them the house of God. Do you realize the other evening that these children got up and recited more verses by memory than most adults know? Do you realize that? They recited more verses spontaneously that they're being taught by their teacher. Spontaneously. They know the word of God. You ask these kids stories, ask them the story of David and Goliath. They'll not only tell you the story, but they'll act it out. They'll get the swords, they'll get the slingshot, they'll get the stone, and they'll act it out. Ask them about Lazarus being risen from the dead. They'll act it out for you. They'll lay down like they were dead. Lazarus, come forth, and they'll pop up. How do you learn? You learn that through your teachers. You learn that in the house of God. And you know what? You see how these children, as they grow, they grow. I remember some of you were babies. Babies. And they grow, and they grow, and they're the future of the church. They're the future of the church. My grandchildren, your grandchildren, our children's children, as the Bible predicted and prophesied in the book of Acts chapter 2, your children's children, they're here. It's up to us to nurture them. And we can't do that unless we agree in covenant to come together and to teach them the things that God has taught us so they can learn the same things. Because life is different. There's a lot of demonic activity out there that wants to take away our families. When we come to the house of God, we learn how to fight against that demonic activity. God is saying this to us. What this morning? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some are. But as you see that day approaching, come together with flesh and blood. Come together in the house of God. Come together and break bread. Come together and have a birthday party. Come together and see a little child blow out the candles. Come together to celebrate life with one another. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Would you stand?